Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I am so thankful for the Sundays when I gather with other believers and I feel like I'm not just going through the motions. I was inviting somebody to church yesterday. I'm developing a relationship with a a new friend of mine over the last several weeks, and I invited him to church, and here's what he told me. He said, my wife and I, we uh, grew up going to church, and we went to Bible college, and we had three chapels every week and two services on Sunday, and we are just burnt out on the whole church thing. And it kind of broke my heart had a, another friend of mine who, as she got older, she could no longer go to church, and she was fearful that because she could no longer attend, that she was losing her salvation. See, we have things that we're supposed to do that are good and right. There is lifestyle choices that we should be making that are good, that honor God, and we should do them. But we have to combine them with a heart of devotion. We have to do the right things for the right reasons. As we look at our Old Testament story today, and we're gonna, we're gonna examine King Solomon, God is really calling us, as we look at King Solomon, to really examine the condition of our hearts. And what we're gonna find is Solomon had half a heart. And then we're gonna examine our heart and we're gonna find out maybe our heart's not in the right place either. And then we end with Jesus who has a whole heart. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school class, you heard about King Solomon. In fact, this is one of the stories that is taught over and over and over again. And I was always taught that we need to be like Solomon because of this part of his life right here. In First in Kings chapter three, we hear about Solomon. And maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but Solomon gets uh, this beautiful blank check from God. God shows up to Solomon and says, you ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. What would you do if God showed up and gave you a blank check? Have you ever played that game in your head like what I would do if I had a million dollars? Now, I know a million dollars isn't as much as what it used to be, but I'd still try that out, right? Have you ever tried that game? Like, what, if, what would you do if you won the lottery? A friend of mine told me that as soon as they make more money, they're gonna start giving money to the church. And In my head, I know there's something wrong with that statement because if I'm not generous to God's kingdom with the money I have, it doesn't matter how much money I get, I'm still not gonna be generous to God's kingdom because it's a part of the heart. See, we know a bunch of right things to do. We need, we need those checklists of things to do, but we have to combine it with a heart of devotion. We can do all the right things. But the scripture tells us if we don't have the right heart, it's not good enough. Verse five of chapter three in 1 Kings says this. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. 
Solomon had just become king in David's place. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, Scripture says. David showed up on the scene, and the kingdom of Israel already had a king named Saul. But Saul had turned away from the Lord and was doing his own thing. And God said, Saul, you're no longer going to be king. I'm going to put a man in there after my own heart. And so Samuel, the prophet, he comes along, and he's ready to anoint the next king. And God says, go to Jesse's house. His son is the one I want you to anoint. He shows up at Jesse's house. He says, bring me all your boys out. I gotta anoint one of them king. And Jesse brings out all of his sons. And Solomon says, oh man, this kid, he's strong, he's tall, he's good looking. God says, no, that's not the right one. And he goes down the line, all the sons. And finally, uh, uh, Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Because God says, none of these are the one. And Jesse says, well, we got David. He's out keeping the sheep, but he's the runt of the family. I don't know if you want him. He brings him out and God says, Samuel, I look at the heart of the person. I don't look at outward appearance. Man looks at outward appearance. I look at the heart. And so David became king after God's own heart. God said, this is the king. He became the example king. In fact, he was such a good example about following, having a heart for God that God said, David, I'm gonna give you a son in your, one of your descendants. You're gonna sit on the throne of David forever. And now, David's son is on the throne, Solomon. Whatever you want me to give you, God says. Now here's what I was taught in Sunday school. Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Focus on God's grace. This is a Sunday school lesson, it's beautiful. Now, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I'm only a little child, do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. Go to God in humility. This is the Sunday school lesson. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And ask for wisdom. This is Sunday school. This is a beautiful lesson. And you know what? We should say prayers that are pleasing to God. We should find out ways that we can please God. In fact, the scripture says in the very next verse, God is pleased with Solomon. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And uh, the scripture is so beautiful. It's so awesome. Um, uh, Jordan Peterson, who's not a believer in Christ, he cannot, he scratches his head on this. He says, I don't understand how this works. The, the Bible is the only hyperlinked text from history. Jordan Peterson not a Christian, just a philosopher. He says, uh, the scripture that we have in the Bible is written over 1,500 years, and yet it all hyperlinks back and forth. It's, it talks to itself. Like it, it, somebody did a word search, and they just kept putting these words in to call our attention to certain things. And it's here. Well, I know why it happened. It's inspired by God. Solomon uses this phrase when he asked for wisdom. He actually asked for a Shema heart. And if you are a good, faithful Jewish person, you recognize that word Shema. It means to listen, but there's no word in Hebrew for obey. So the same word for listen is the same word for obey, Shema, listen and obey. It became the faithful prayer of a good Jew. You pray the Shema at the beginning of the day and you pray the Shema at the end of the day. You weren't a good Jew if you didn't follow the checklist. The Shema went, Hear, listen, listen, obey. Shema, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Worship the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. 
Listen and obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the type of heart Solomon asked for. He said, give me a Shema heart. That word that we have translated in discerning, it's Shema. Listen and obey. Give me a listen and obey heart. And God is so pleased with this. But the narrator of 1 and 2 Kings, now I know he's in, he or she is inspired by God. Uh, the tradition says it's Jeremiah the prophet. But this writer is a genius. Because as beautiful as this is, he's calling our attention to examine the heart of Solomon. The chapter actually starts with these words. So we get to verse five. God appears to Solomon. God says, ask whatever you want. And Solomon says, give me a Shema heart. But that's not how it starts. That's not how this part of the story starts. This part of the story starts this way. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. If you're a Jewish person, there's no judgment on there. It's just a statement of fact. If you're a Jewish person, what do you know about Egypt? When you hear Egypt in your mind, if you're a Jewish person, you start thinking, Egypt was the place where our people were enslaved for 400 years. Egypt is the place where the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, ordered us to kill and murder all of our babies as they were born. If you are thinking about the word Egypt and you're a good Jew, you remember God says, don't go back that way. Don't go back to Egypt and be enslaved again. The narrator, he doesn't say any of that. He just brings it up. Solomon made an alliance with Egypt. As they're moving into the promised land, the temple of God has not been built. And there are all these places where the people that were in the land before they got there, they built these idol places. They're called the high places. This is where they worship their gods, the Canaanites and the Ammonites and the Hittites, and you just name a ite, you got them. And they had some pretty terrible gods they worshiped, pretty terrible idols. One of them was Ashtoreth. She was the goddess of fertility. So uh, she promoted um, ritual religious prostitution. One of them was Molech. Molech, one of, his, one of the great things about Molech is one of his idols that they would worship at was a, was a, a statue oven with its arms outstretched. And you'd heat up the oven and then you'd place your baby in Molech's arms to burn to death as a child sacrifice. These are what the people were worshiping when Israel moved in, and they were at these places called high places. They weren't always up high, but a lot of times they were, and there's where these idol, these, uh, these little um, places to work, these altars were placed. And the author of 1 Kings, he's trying to call our attention. We gotta really examine Solomon's heart here. We gotta ask what's going on. Because he said, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places. Well, if you're a good Jew, you think, wait, wait a second, high places? It's where Molech is. It's where Ashtoreth is. God says, don't worship there. They were sacrificing there because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Verse three, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except 
Don't let your love for God have a conjunction in it. Accept that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. When I was growing up in Sunday school, I never heard that part. I just heard, be like Solomon, ask for wisdom. But the call here is not to be like Solomon. It's to examine your heart. Do you have a listen and obey heart of devotion? Solomon does a lot of awesome things. Let me just read one description of Solomon. Uh, It's in chapter 4, verse 25. Ooh, I love this. See, they're looking for a king who's going to come in the line of David. And this king who's going to rule over the throne, in the throne of David forever, he's going to bring peace and prosperity to the land that's never been seen before. Chapter 4, verse 25. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Oh, man, there's a lot of good things going on. Peace and prosperity here. At the end of chapter 4, it says this. This this is what I heard in Sunday school. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kolkol, and Darda. I don't know who those people are. And the sons of Mahal. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke about ancient, he spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish from all nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who'd heard of his wisdom. You know, even having a calling on your life from the Lord does not guarantee that your heart will be right. Even if you do all the right things and you check out all the right lists and you do a life of obedience, if your heart is not in the right place, the scripture says there is something wrong that needs to be fixed. And the author of 1 Kings, as he describes all these good things of Solomon, he keeps just throwing out these little phrases that build up this sense of dread as the reader reads on and he says, oh, something is going wrong here. The king was given instructions. Write these instructions down, Deuteronomy chapter 17 says. Carry them with you all the time. Read it every day. When you're a king, don't marry foreign wives because they're gonna lead your heart astray. When you're a king, don't put your trust in horses and chariots. Trust the Lord to save you from battles. When you're a king, don't accumulate too much wealth because you're gonna go astray and you're gonna trust in the wealth and the success of your horses and you're gonna turn to the gods of your wives. Don't do those things. It's what Deuteronomy and the Torah says. And the author of 1 Kings, he just keeps throwing out these little lines, building the sense of dread. In all of the land of Israel, they had peace and they worshiped and they were living under their own (laughs) vine and under their own fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. Solomon used enslaved labor to build his palace. Solomon married many foreign wives. 
the author keeps putting out this thing, examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart, examine your heart. Solomon built the temple to the Lord. King David wasn't allowed to build a temple. God said, David, you're a man of war. I want a man of peace to build my temple. And Solomon built the temple. And it says at the end of chapter six, this is so awesome. It says, this, this is in the 11th year, in the Mount of Bull, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. Solomon spent seven years building it. Oh man, this is incredible for God. Listen to the next verse. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. There's no judgment here, not in the scripture, but doesn't that build a sense of dread in you? Like he gave a lot to God's temple. It took him seven years to build it. Solomon was this great man, and he took 13 years to build his own. There's this gradual falling away that Solomon does. He never examines his heart. He never asks God, is there anything in my heart that's a roadblock to worship? Because he was doing all the right things. In fact, in chapter nine, it says he did the right thing. But listen to what it says he did the right thing. Listen to how the author says it. Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord along with them. It's what he's supposed to do three times a year. And he fulfilled the temple obligations. It just became a checklist for him. He just did the right thing because it was the right thing to do. But his heart wasn't in the right place. It's just an obligation. I'm praying for my friend who church just became an obligation. I'm praying for his heart. I'm praying for my own heart. I've got a buddy of mine, uh, Ron, and he does Celebrate Recovery. And uh, I love how he tells the story, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, we started a Celebrate Recovery program here and him and his wife, they showed up, they were there to help people. And he said in the very first meeting, his jaw dropped and he realized he was there to get help himself. And uh, over the years, as he's participated in Celebrate Recovery, by the way, he told me I could tell the story. He's done what they call an inventory where they just turn over every part of their heart, every part of their life, everything that goes on in their life, trying to identify idols that they need to get rid of. He says it's so difficult. And then they make a list and they share that list of things going on in their life with a brother in Christ and they confess those idols, they repent of those idols. And he said, that's so hard. He said, but the sweetness of his relationship with God when his heart is right outweighs all the trouble it is and the pain it is and the embarrassment it is to, to identify those idols. And he says, it shouldn't surprise me, but it still does. He goes back every couple of years and he does a new inventory. And he says, new idols appear. God has revealed it to him, new idols that he has to confess and repent of and get rid of. He said, the ones that I confess and repent of, they're gone. The ones that I don't confess and repent of, they're still there bothering me. But the hard work and the embarrassment that comes with confessing those idols to get my heart right, the sweetness 
of the relationship with God is so much greater than the pain to get there. See, as we read this story of Solomon, and he asked for a Shema heart, a listening, obey heart, a heart of devotion, Solomon already had the checklist of things to do, and he did them, but his heart wasn't in the right place. It ends in chapter 11. King Solomon, however, all these great things about God, all these great things about Solomon, all the great things he did for God, and there's a conjunction in his devotion. Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidians, Hittites, They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He starts off as king. He loved God, except he still worshiped at the high places. And he ends ends the kingdom with, he loved foreign gods. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He allowed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. This story of Solomon, we can take it from it, lessons, ask for wisdom. If, I mean, Jesus says it, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. But seeking first the kingdom of God is not necessarily only about doing the right things. It's also about doing, having the right heart. Today, as we read this, read this account of Solomon, The scripture is calling you, God is calling you, examine your own heart. Examine what you do, but also examine why you do it. Here's what we're gonna find. It won't take you very long if you start examining your heart. It's like you really ask those questions, why am I doing this? It's not gonna take you very long to find out that your heart is not quite all the way devoted to the Lord like you appear to be. The scripture says every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're told that we have idols. Our heart is an idol factory. Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life. The things we see, the pleasures we seek, and the positions of respectability and authority we're after. Those become idols that we have to examine our hearts for. And as we examine our hearts, we find that we fall short. And all the people, like Solomon, that we put our trust in, end up failing us. This happens with preachers. This happens with celebrities. Now, I'm not a, uh, I wasn't born here in Ohio. So 
You'll have to forgive me. I'm not an Ohio State fan like some of you are. I root for Ohio teams because I live here. I'm from Kentucky, and the University of Kentucky should win the National Basketball Championship every single year. And they didn't even make it out of the first round. Okay, side, that's a tangent. I'm not from Ohio, so I don't have the worship that some of you have for Ohio coaches. Woody Hayes, one of the best coaches that ever lived, and his reputation is gonna be forever tarnished, and what he is known for is he punched a kid in the helmet during the Gator Bowl. And Jim Tressel came along and won a championship for Ohio State, and he had the greatest winning percentage in Ohio State history since Woody Hayes, and his reputation was tarnished because he did inappropriate funding for student-athletes. And Urban Meyer comes along and he wins the national championship and I don't know a single Ohio State fan that wants Urban Meyer back as coach. And every time we put our faith in someone, we figure out that they're not the king that's supposed to follow in the line of David, that's gonna rule over the throne forever and bring peace and prosperity and good to all nations, to gather all nations to him. We find out over and over again as we examine our own hearts and we examine the hearts of celebrities and as we examine the heart of Solomon, we find that something is lacking. They're not wholly devoted to the Lord. We find our own heart is not wholly devoted to the Lord. And so where can we turn and what can we do? Let me rephrase that. We know all the right things to do, but how can we become the person we're supposed to be. And the scripture tells us, turn to Jesus. He is the king prophesied about. He is the king in the line of David that's gonna sit on the throne of David forever. And he's gonna rule over the entire world forever. He's gonna bring true peace and true prosperity. He's going to bring all the nations to him. He's the king that has the whole heart, wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. In the Old Testament, we're told if we want to love God, we need to follow the Torah, the teachings of the Lord. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is the Torah. It has the teaching. It has the law. It has the narrative. We're told if we want to love God, we need to follow the Torah. But Jesus comes along and he says, if you want to love God, you need to follow me because he's the only one that did all the right things with the right heart in place. And because he was perfect, tempted in every way, just like we are, but without sin, he was able to step in our place and become a sacrifice for us where we have failed. See, as we examine our hearts and realize our heart is not in the right place, we have to have somebody rescue us from sin sickness. We have to have Jesus Christ rescue us because his heart is wholly devoted to God. He revealed that by never sinning, and then when he was called to, he gave himself as a sacrifice in our place, absorbing our sin, absorbing the wrath of God that he pours out on people who have half-hearted devotion to him. Jesus absorbed all of that wrath. And our job now, our job now, 
So Jesus rose from the dead. Don't let me leave that part out. He died in our place, and after three days, he rose from the dead. Because he rose the dead, he proved it's all true. So here's what we do now to fix our hearts. We need to give our heart to Christ. We need to grow our relationship heart in Christ, and we need to guard our heart. Give, grow, and guard. To give your heart to Christ, the Scripture says you need to believe that his sacrifice was good enough and big enough. You need to believe that Jesus is the king prophesied about that would rule forever in the line of David. You need to believe that Jesus was perfect and never sinned. You need to believe that he rose from the dead. Scripture says if you believe that, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. When the Israelites were with the apostles on the day of Pentecost, and Peter said to the apostles, you killed Jesus on the cross, the Savior, the Messiah, the one in the line of David, you killed him. They said they were cut to the heart, and they said, what do we need to do? And Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And don't you know that when you believe with your heart, confess with your mouth, repent of your sins, and be buried into Jesus' death in watery baptism and raised to faith, by faith, to a new life. The scripture says you become a new creation. And God takes out that heart that's not fully devoted to him and he gives you rebirth with a new heart, fully devoted to him with his laws written on it inside of you. We need to give our hearts to Christ. We need to submit to him and make him Lord over our lives. And then we need to grow our hearts in him. So we just go through our life and we identify the idols we need to get rid of and we identify the checklist that we need to do that is correct, but now we have a heart of devotion to do it. And we realize we're not going through the motions. We realize we gather together as other believers so that we can be encouraged in our faith and so that we can encourage other people in their faith. We realize we gather together as other believers so that we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We realize we gather together so that we can confess our sins to one another so we can be reminded the grace we have in Christ and we grow and grow and grow and deepen our relationship to Jesus. We realize we're reading our Bibles, not because it's the thing to do and it's the checklist to do and we've always been told, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. No, we read our Bibles because our heart is now in realization that these are the words of Jesus to us and this is the way we get to build our relationship with him. We get to know him. Jesus is a real person. He's, you can relate to him. He speaks to us and we get to speak to him. And so we read our Bible looking for the words of Christ so we can develop this relationship, spending time with him. We learn how to pray, not because it's a checklist, but because our motives are right. We want this relationship, this interaction with God. We give our hearts to Christ, we grow our hearts in Christ. But we also have to guard our hearts. Solomon, he was really wise. He knew the right things to say, he just didn't do them. He says, guard your heart above all else because everything that happens in life flows out of your heart. Jesus comes along and he says the same thing. Evil actually comes out of your heart. So we have to guard our heart. We need to examine and look for any idols that are there. 
Then we go and confess them to our friends and say, this has become an idol for me. I'm spending way too much time here. I'm spending way too much money here. I'm spending way too much attention on this part of my life. And I need to give that over. Spend more time and more money and more energy in my relationship with Jesus. If you confess and repent of idols in your heart, God will remove them. But don't be surprised if he opens up your eyes to something else that you need to get rid of. And the pain and the embarrassment and the hurt it causes when you get rid of those idols is worth it. The sweet joy of your renewed relationship to Christ. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org slash connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.